0: Coming to you from the worldwide headquarters in the middle of nowhere,
1: it's the Jim Day Podcast. A pleasant hello again, everyone out there, and thanks again for checking out the Jim Day Podcast. We're back for the attack here, and we've been attacking it hard. Thank you for helping us grow this podcast. Spread the word. Help us out, and I'm going to ask this real quick. Once again, I've asked before. I'm going to ask again. However you're listening, particularly if you're on iTunes, and we've been tracking this. Most of you are listening on iTunes. There is, I mean, we're a broad spectrum of a ton of ways to listen to this. But on iTunes and others, they accept ratings. So scroll on down there. Scroll, scroll. There you go. Scroll on down. Real easy to do. Bang, hit that five-star rating. If you like what you hear, and, and we're assuming you do since you are you're here listening. It will help the future and growth of this podcast. And if you want to leave a review, great. That's going the extra mile. But just all you got to do is click on the five star and we thank you so much. We invite you to follow along with us. At Jim Day TV is where you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I like to take you behind the scenes uh, once in a while. A little bit of my personal life, which probably no one really cares about. But um, we invite you to follow along. And again, we are an open book here. And if you've been listening, and we invite you, if you haven't been, if you're just picking us up, go back in the archives and check out the first nine editions of this podcast. Some terrific interviews, some terrific guys, and the first guest on this podcast was one Marty Brenneman. And I made it my mission to make him my first guest. In fact, it was the first two episodes. Uh, I think you guys know out there my affection for Marty One of my broadcast idols, grew up, Reds fan, Marty fan. We've been down this road before. And still to this day, can't believe that we've forged a friendship. Uh, And I think that came across in the first two episodes, and I think it will come across here. But at the same time, as an interviewer, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to get things out of him that you might not otherwise hear. We had a little bit of that on the first two episodes, and you're going to get more of that here today. There's a few things that I don't think he's ever talked about publicly, and if he has, he hasn't done it in depth, and actually a couple of things that really opened my eyes that I knew a little bit about, but he really goes in depth on it. Of course, we have some laughs along the way, and I said we were going to go back to this well. This is his final season behind the broadcast, mic. Forty six years of a Hall of Fame career that we were going to go back to the well and what better time. He was the first guest and now on episode number 10, we're going back to Franchester Martin Brenneman making his return to the Jim Day podcast. Marty Brenneman, welcome back to the Jim Day podcast. Thank you very much, Jim. Well, you were kind enough to uh, give us the first two episodes Ever in the history, the very short history of the I feel so honored. (laughs) When we look back on your career, I know it's gonna be a career highlight. Hall of Fame broadcaster and once was the first guest on the Lowly Jim Day podcast. That's something I'll take to my grave. I can tell oozing, oozing with sarcasm. (laughs) Uh, But we appreciate you coming back in the um, swan song year because there were so many things we we talked about so much, but there were so much more to cover. Um, One of which being we went over your favorite managers, but we didn't necessarily cover your favorite players over the years. So if I were you i play, got a lot of them. I know you do, I So, but we them. have a lot of time I know we do. on this podcast, so who are the first ones that come to mind? Tommy Hume to my mind first. Really? Yeah. Hume, one of the greatest human beings on earth.
2: One of my dear friends on earth and and one of the nicest people. Uh, he and his wife, Susan, have become dear friends of Amanda and myself, and uh, there's rarely, if ever, a time when we go to the condominium that we own in Siesta Key that we don't have dinner at least once with Tommy and, and Susan. Nice. Um, I just think he's a, a great human being. Uh, but uh, I think Danny Graves, uh, as a former player, I, I, I tell people all the time, the last players that I've played golf with are Danny Graves and Scott Sullivan, and that shows you how far back we go. Yeah. And Joe and I used to play golf with those two all the time, uh, all over the National League. We just – there was an affinity. Of course, I was a lot younger then than I am now, but uh, I I genuinely liked both of those guys and enjoyed their company when we played golf. And uh, even this past spring, uh, when Amanda and I drove to Goodyear, uh, we stopped off in in San Antonio for two days and took Danny and his, uh, his wife, Sunny, out to lunch. Um, he's going to be working with us on 30-plus games on Reds Radio this coming season. Um, And then there's Pete, and then there's Joe, uh, uh, Rose and Morgan. And they're they're the two of the three best friends, two of the best uh, four best friends I think I have in the game, the other two being Hume and Jack Billingham. All those guys are guys that are special to me. Sean Casey was the same way. Um, I I could go on, you know. Uh, one of the great stories dealt with Greg Vaughn, who came to this club in 1999 for one year. Yeah, and um, great leader that year. The best single leader I've ever been around. I've never been around. With All due respect to Rose and Morgan and Bench and all the rest of those guys. I've never been around a guy who uh, had such an intimidating presence to the point where if you didn't play well, you'd have to answer to him, and nobody wanted to answer to him. So intimidating, they let him keep his facial hair. They did. (laughs) That's exactly – that was a major, major step in favor of the player back then. took someone like that to change it. Yeah, I think he had 16 to 17 home runs in the month of September and carried this club on its back. But as a person, I was not real fond of him. He had he was he was gruff, he was short, didn't like the media. Um, and so he was there one year and he was gone. And then years later, uh, and you know who I'm gonna talk about, Joe Babbage, our good friend who's an attorney in Sacramento, yeah. California, and was one of the biggest positives for me that came out of my relationship with Dusty Baker, and that's meeting Joe Babbage, mm-hmm. very successful attorney. And he and I have become very close friends and he called me about three, four years ago, and said, um, Greg Vaughn is going to be inducted into the Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame. Um, Is there anything you might be able to give me? He said, there are going to be 1,200 or 1,300 people there. I said, yeah, he's the single greatest leader I've ever been associated with. Uh, In a baseball uniform, and Joe said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Can, Can I tape this? And I said, yeah. So he taped it and the event was coming up and then a couple weeks later Joe called me back and said um, Greg was rendered to tears when he heard your tape uh, and he would like to call you and I said fine so he gave uh, Greg Vaughn my phone number and and shortly thereafter Greg called me we talked for 45 minutes on the phone he said I never realized that you had that type of feeling as far as me personally and and, and my ability to help the club in 1969, I said, that's because uh, I don't think we cared for each other very much back then, so we had very little conversation. And since that time, uh, he and I have stayed in contact. I've told, I've told this organization, if I had a nickel for every time, that I've told them that they want to hire a guy to work with their minor league players and prepare them for what it's like to be a major league baseball player and the importance of coming to play every day. I said, You can't hire somebody better than him. But with their infinite wisdom, that's in parenthesis quotation marks, <laughs> uh, they've never seen a need to hire a guy like that, which it's it's beyond
1: me. I don't understand it. And Sean Casey, the aforementioned He stopped said me <laughs> that you were the cantankerous one. He uh
2: you know, I, I've, I've always I'm from the old school. I think first baseman, corner infielders ought to hit for power and drive in runs. And Sean was a line drive hitter, great hitter, but a line drive hitter. Yeah. And I periodically mentioned that, and so uh, the club played a Sunday afternoon game, and then they were we were flying somewhere, and I was on the plane sitting in my customary row thirteen uh, under the old seat alignment back in the old days, and the players get on, and I'm reading a book or something, and all of a sudden I sense somebody standing over me, and I look up, and it's Casey, and he said, you know what you are? And I said, what? He said, you're cantankerous. Now, guys have – And he wasn't joking around. No, he was not. But guys have been much more explicit in terms of saying what I am rather than saying cantankerous. <laughs> and so I joke with him about that all the time. Oh, that is fantastic. I like – I, I Tucker Barnhart is a favorite of mine. Uh, as far as the current mm-hmm. crop of players, Suarez is a, is a guy that I have great respect for. Uh, I could name you a lot of guys, given the fact that I think they're probably, if I gave you 100 names of players that I like, they would be probably uh, you could multiply that tenfold of guys that don't like me. So, I mean, Joe
1: Oliver was a guy that I really cared a lot for. Yeah. Uh, yeah I could name a lot of them. You know that nowadays I bring up to Sean Casey calling him calling you can tanker correct and he gets the biggest kick out of it at first he was like i can't believe i did that brother i can't believe i did that <laughs> <laughs> brother <laughs> but um obviously there there was no lingering effects there i mean uh anytime you see sean casey there's uh big hugs and laughs correct yes, yes. i i you know i i look back on his
2: career and and again, I'm not backing down from the fact that I think corner out infielder should hit for power and drive in and runs. And you go back in the history of the game, and the great players that played first base and played third base were not punching Judy hitters. Not to say that Casey is, right? but Casey just did not have uh, the, the offensive approach to become a home run hitter. That did not take away from his ability to hit. But, you know, I, I'll be dead honest with you, Jim, I – the older I've gotten, the more I judge people by the kind of people they are as opposed to the kind of ball players they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say the older I get, because but that's not actually quite accurate because I determined a thousand years ago that Tommy Hume was one of the best people I've ever known. Um, and, and Sean Casey's one of the best people I've ever known. They're both great family people, um, they're devoted to their wives and their kids. And, and I don't know that uh, – I don't think Sean Casey could say a bad thing about anybody, I, and maybe he can privately, but I I, I just – I have great respect for him as a person and, and, and as a ball player and more
1: importantly as a person. Well, you can judge a, per, a person as well, and I've, I've used this barometer over the years. Um they can hear the drink in the background, by the way, Marty. <laughs> full disclosure, uh, we are <laughs> full disclosure on this podcast. We are two adults that are um, <laughs> imbibing. In, a, in a home. We're not driving. And uh, we're we're having a beverage. Yes, we are a couple are. of beverages. Yes, so we are. if you hear some ice in the background, you'll know. <laughs> Hopefully I'm not slurring my speech by the end of this podcast. <laughs> but you can judge a person by what other people have to say about Correct. them. I have never heard anyone say anything bad about Sean Casey.
2: The two people I've never heard, actually three, actually four. And going back to what we talked about earlier, Doug Flynn would also be in that group of my favorite people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joe Nuxall, Doug Flynn, Tommy Hume, Sean Casey. Yeah. They're the four. Wow. I've never yeah. heard anyone utter a negative about them uh, personally uh, in any way. And I'm not going to delve into why I think they're the way they are. I know there were people who would say, "Well, it has a lot to do with their upbringing." Well, I'm I'm not going into that. I, mm-hmm. don't, I don't know that. And and I know, I know I've met Sean's parents. I've met uh, I know Doug's family, his mom and dad well. Um, Tommy Hume, I, uh, very little if any contact at all. And uh, who was the fourth one? Now I can't remember. Anyway, I they, they're guys. Nuxie. That, uh, yeah, Nuxie. Um Uh, obviously his mom and dad were gone Mm -hmm. long before he and I ever came uh, together but um, they're just special people Uh, and 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 I think anybody who has come in contact with them
1: in an off the field situation would probably agree with everything I said about them yeah you had mentioned as your favorite players uh, Joe Morgan Pete Rose when you came here in 74 you were Closer to their age than mm-hmm. you are to players nowadays. Much different world back then, and um, let's be honest, you hung out a little <laughs> bit, right? Yeah, we hung out. <laughs> or as you out. would say, we, you run in the streets tonight.
2: We ran the streets. <laughs> I mean, you know, they they were guys that I click with, and and quite honestly, I had the the uh, the uh, front office management of the club say to me, they call me in and they said, you know you can't run with those guys. You can't hang with really, those guys. You, you can't do it from a financial standpoint. But they were not going to dictate to me who I could hang with. Um, and and so they, be, they were great friends of mine then, and they're great friends of mine today. And I'd be less than honest if I didn't tell you that we didn't miss anything.
1: <laughs> we, <laughs> didn't,
2: we didn't miss a thing.
1: You in the I had
2: track shoes on, with two outs in the ninth inning of games back in the seventies,
1: because I was ready to hit the streets and rock and roll. Track shoes with bell bottoms and the A leisure cleaner,
2: suit. I mean, clean. You cannot <laughs> back then. You know, I wore coat and tie to the game every. Yeah. I wore suits and and ties and our sport coats and ties and uh, back then. Now i on. You know, sartorially speaking. Guys, the the boots were the big thing because you wore the bell-bottom pants. And I used to buy San Remo boots. That's San Remo, Italy, with zippers on the side.
1: Um, I remember my older brothers having those things, and they passed them down. They were so clean, it was a shame. <laughs> big old thick heels. No, no, no. Those mean, were No? Not. No, no, no. Really? These were
2: clad. You guys Your guys <laughs> bought them at Payless. <laughs> Mine were purchased at high High-dollar stores. Uh, well,
1: we were a very modest family. <laughs>
2: and so, um, you know, I, I'll i never forget, God, God bless him, he's still around, although I think he's teaching a college course now, Lanny Fraturi, who was a voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he worked at one time with uh, Jim Rooker on the radio years ago, and he made the comment one night that I was, a well, the best-dressed announcer in all of baseball. And I think <laughs> about that comment then – the approach I take today, it's like night and day.
1: Well, it's now jeans, always jeans. Yeah, but very Even, expensive jeans. Now if Marty shows <laughs> yes, if Marty shows up in a coat, it's a big deal. There's something going no, on. No, no, there wait a minute. A jacket, I mean a suit jacket. If I show up in a shoe
2: suit jacket, it's yeah. because I was told to. <laughs> yes. Not if it was a big deal. A right. big deal is immaterial.
1: If I was told to wear a coat, I would wear a coat. Well you know, you took, uh, we talked about this on the previous edition of the podcast. You took 10 years off of your life changing the hairdo around. <laughs> um, and now Amanda has you, and, and you yourself, you're just, you're on it, man. For your age, you're styling. <laughs> well, I don't know. You styling know, they're, they're profiling I, I, as Rick Flair would But say. I keep
2: telling Amanda, there are people who I wear slim jeans and uh, that I buy at my favorite store, Blaine's, in downtown Montgomery. Ding, ding, another mention. That's it. And Amanda, which Amanda and I say to Amanda periodically, she said, boy, on a given night, we're going somewhere, she said, you really look nice. And I say, there are people my age who would say, why don't he, why don't he act his age and dress? Oh, heck with that. That's right. And, and I, I, um, I don't do that to try and look younger. I, I respect the fact that I'm 76 years old, but I respect more the fact that I'm, I'm a 76, I'm healthy. And 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 I work at being healthy, and so if there are people who want to criticize me for the way I dress, hell with them. I don't care.
1: Love it. <laughs> I was waiting for the. I was waiting for the sound effect. Um, want to talk about something serious? Okay. Transition into something serious. You covered Pete for so many years. I did, dear friend. Yeah, and. Yeah, I'm not objective now. I know. Okay. Well documented the troubles he's had over the years, which continues even to today's world. Um, How tough has it been to be his friend when you hear this story come out, this story come out, that story come out, and it's been a long time that these stories keep coming out?
2: Well, it's not difficult to be his friend. I I don't care what comes out. I mean, I'm his friend. Mm -hmm. Um I'd be your friend. It, it, it wouldn't make any difference to me. If we had a relationship and something came out that was egregiously bad about you or about anybody, that's, that's, I'm not going to turn my back on you because this story came out. Um, the Pete thing was tough. It was, and, and I hate to say this because people say, we don't give a damn about how tough it is for you. But it was tough for me in 1989 when this whole thing broke and I'll never forget the club is obviously training in, in, um, in plant city and I get to spring training and I'm not there when the pitchers and catchers report, I never come down then it's too early. I don't come down then, but I come to camp and uh, I go on a field one day and he's there and, um, I said, what's going on? And, and, uh, he said, I got to go to West Palm beach and meet with a commissioner and the league president about, you know, the gambling thing. And I said, okay. So he goes, and, um, and, the, and, the, and then later on the story breaks um, that he's going to be, you know, that there's a full-scale investigation. Right. So we the Reds are playing a, a spring training game in St. In Petersburg against, I don't know, it's the Mets or the Cardinals. They both trained over there at the time. And I did a pregame radio show with him just like I do with David Bell today. I mean, you know, that, that's never changed. I've always mm-hmm. it started in spring training. And the story had just broken uh, that night, and the Reds are playing in St. Pete the next day. And so um, I get a phone call. That night from Jim Ferguson, who was a Reds publicity director, he said, Pete told me to call you and tell you that um, he will be in St. Pete early enough for you to do the pregame radio show tomorrow. And my, my first thought to that was, here's a guy with a world crumbling around him, and he has a presence of mind. And considerate enough of my job to call me and tell me, I'll be there. So now, the next day, I'm in the dugouts, third base dugout over at Al Langfield Field in St. Pete, and the bus would pull up behind the left field foul pole, and they would deposit players, and they would come down the left field foul line to the dugout in one of the clubhouse. So here he came. I'm in the dugout along with Sports Illustrated sporting news, new york times, la times, all the big newspapers in the world. And he reaches the dugout and he said, "Gentlemen, I have nothing to say right now. I've got to do my radio show with him." We walk into the clubhouse and it's a, you know, it's it's like any minor league, it was very very spartan and mm-hmm. we're in the trainers' room. All right. And nobody else in the clubhouse. And I said to him, "I said, Pete, uh, let's let's understand each other. Now we have to do this radio show every day. And I can't. So, there will be times when I can't avoid this story. I'm not going to use it as a soap opera day to day to day to day. But when things crop up, we have to talk about it. We can't avoid it." He said, "You ask me anything you want to ask me. Don't worry about it. Did the radio show?" I've never been around a person that had more presence of mind about we as media people have a responsibility for doing mm-hmm. than I have for him. He, one, he's the greatest interview I've ever done. You could ask him anything, and, and he would say, oh, I, if, if on a given day I would say to him, you know, we're, I'm, I'm short, said, don't worry about it. If you can give me two questions, I'll fill your three and a half or four minutes. You don't have to worry about it. He was the best. And I love the guy. Uh, In fact, it's an interesting situation. Back in the old days, um, the word L-O-V-E meant nothing to him. He would never say that was not masculine to say that. Today, and I just talked to him five days ago, if he calls me or I call him at the end of the conversation, he will say, I love you. And I will say, I love you too. He would never do that before. Um, I I just I'm I'm a big fan of his Uh, I don't care what he did or uh, I do think he probably at some point felt like he was bigger than the game and I think that was a thing that brought him down Um, he hung out with terrible people Uh, but you know I as I said you're my dear friend they they couldn't accuse you of something that would minimize my feeling for you and, and and they can't do or say anything that would minimize my feeling for him
1: you – let's move, transition to something okay. else. We could talk all, all day about that. And, the, you know, that it, Pete's story has been talked about and re-talked about a thousand times, but I thank you for the insight uh, talking yep. about your friend there. Um, you were a smoker for years. Terrible. Killed it. Loved it. <laughs> right in the booth during the game, right? You and Joe
2: just – used to tell people, if we did a doubleheader, we'd knock off five packs a day. <laughs>
1: I mean, we'd kill five packs just like I'm looking at you. Wow. Yeah. And what did you do when you did it during innings you were calling?
2: What? <laughs> it didn't make any difference
1: whether it was anything I was doing play by play or I wasn't. Well, back then you could smoke I anywhere. I
2: cigarette fired up, big boy.
1: I was killing him. <laughs> but you quit. What year was it? I did. It? 1990. 1990. Now, you told me this – and. Correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm remembering this right. incorrectly. Someone hypnotized you? Yes. This is for real. I, had, I was having problems with my vocal
2: cords. <clears throat> I get, I'd get inordinately hoarse over a period of time. And so I went to my guy, David Morad, who was an eye, ear, nose, and throat specialist. And um, he said, you have nodules
1: on your vocal cords, both of them. Oh, that's scary! Now, to vocal death cords when are like re- this. Yeah, he's pointing two fingers down. Down, straight yes,
2: down, like yeah. an inverted V. Yeah, and so he said you've got to have them removed, but he said because he said the way it is, you can have one vocal cord stripped, and then 30 days later, you've got to have the other one stripped because they're too close together to doing both at the same time. So, in December of '89, I went in and had. One stripped, and then I went back exactly 30 days later in January and had the uh, of 90 and had the other one stripped. So it was no big deal. It was an outpatient deal. It was no problem, nothing. So after the second one, I met with him in his office. He said, now, let me give you a couple of options. He said, one, if you keep smoking, you may get lucky and live to be 100 and never have a problem ever. Secondly, you may develop cancer and die. Thirdly, you could have cancer in your voice box. We remove the voice box. You're as healthy as a horse. You'll never work again. Or four, you can quit smoking. He said, now, he threw a business card across the table at me. He said, now, I don't endorse this. But he said, you might look into it. I think he did endorse it, but as a doctor, a full-blown— He threw you a hypnotist. He threw me a card of a hypnotist. Wow. It was a, a young woman who had an office on Montgomery Road in Cincinnati. I called her. Three appointments for
1: $180. Think about that. <laughs> you now. remember the— Hey, that's, uh, I never nothing, forget, that's nothing
2: to pay to quit I don't. Know, I don't forget any of this because it was so important in my life and my career— you go today, and she puts you under, and she tapes your session. She gives you the tape at the end of the day to listen to for reinforcement if you need it.
1: How does she put you under? I mean, is it? I've never been hit in the times. Well, I don't I'll, think I'll, I'll, I'll do get it. to that
2: in a minute. But then you take the tape home, and if you need reinforcement between today and tomorrow, tomorrow's appointment number two, you listen to it. And then the third appointment's so a, a, a week from Tomorrow, three appointments within eight days. I smoked a cigarette sitting in my car at 1225 in the afternoon on January. Let me see what the date was. Oh, it was January 19th. It was almost a month after I'd recovered from the surgery. 1990. 1990. 1990. I smoked a cigarette at 1225 in the afternoon on January 19, 1990. I went into her office. She put me under. Um, I came back the next day. She had given me the cassette tape. She said, well, I said, well, I didn't listen to the cassette tape. I didn't have to. I said, I don't even need to be back here today. She said, what are you talking about? I said, I had no desire to smoke a cigarette. I did not listen to the tape. I don't even need to come back next week. But she put me over, put me under for the second day, and I never went back for the third appointment. From that day forward, I have never desired a cigarette. I have never, um, I've been in a room full of smokers, and I've never desired a cigarette. And she maintained that the reason why she had such success was because I deathly wanted to quit. She dealt with people who smoke. She dealt with people who wanted to lose weight. And her greatest success was dealing with people who desperately wanted to quit, which I did. Um, As far as being put under is concerned, you're never totally under. You know, there are people who are reluctant to do something like that because they are afraid they'll be put in a state where they could be taken advantage of. You're never in that position. You're always aware of what's around you. But you are very susceptible to what is said to you from the mental perspective. I was always awake. I was never under. Well, what was she saying to you? You were she was not giving going me all the reasons cigarettes. why it was important not to smoke. Wow! And all the negatives about what would happen if I continued to smoke.
1: Was it stereotypical? Like you were getting very oh no sleepy. No, no 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 you were getting she, very you sleepy. Would,
2: you, the only thing that's consistent is you lay down on the couch and she sits to your. Uh, sits next to you and she puts positive thoughts into your mind i have never ever had another desire to smoke a cigarette
1: you had no withdrawals
2: no i never had a withdrawal i mean you're symptom. talking
1: you're smoking two packs
2: a day a pound, i, I smoke probably a pack and a half i never wow. had a withdrawal symptom i've never had anything and she That's said
1: incredible there's people out here listening right now like how how do i you know, how can I accomplish that? Because she, she, the withdrawals are, are the worst from it, what I hear. Never had, never had it. Never had it. Wow.
2: Um, and of all the things that have happened to me, you know, from the Hall of Fame, from whatever, that's the thing that I'm probably most proud of, the fact that I quit. Because I guarantee you one thing, if I had not quit smoking, one, you and I would not be sitting across from each other talking about a 45 going on 46-year career. And secondly – um, I don't even know if I'd have been here. And thirdly, if I was, I'd have been walking around with a oxygen canister on my hip. I mean I have I have pulmonary disease today where I take two puffs of spariva every morning. Is that from years of smoking or yes. is that just age? Without uh, everything to do with smoking.
1: Is that something you've talked about publicly?
2: No. I don't care about I'm not if I didn't if I was if I wanted to be quiet, I wouldn't talk to your ass about it. <laughs>
1: I mean, come on! Well, I'm just wondering. No, I about. do
2: it. I, I, and, I, and, 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 yeah. It's nothing that. Uh, I mean, I have a form of emphysema, and emphysema is a type of lung problem that results in the, um, for want of a better term, the dying of blood vessels in your lungs. Right. It doesn't regenerate. Once those blood vessels die, they never come back. And there are small areas of dark on my my lungs where blood vessels. That's why I know without any uh, without any question of of certainty that that I would be walking around with a canister of oxygen, or I'd be dead today. Um, so uh, you know, and, and the byproduct of my smoking was the fact that I have pulmonary disease, and it's a minor pulmonary disease. It doesn't inhibit me from doing anything. Other than when I get to um, altitudes like in Denver, it really bothers me. Mm-hmm. And, but it's not life-threatening or anything like that. But it, it bothers the hell out of me. In fact, when Amanda and I were in Bisbee, Arizona, the last stop we made when our cross-country driving to get to spring training came about, and I, it, it, I had to huff and puff. Now, it was tough just going up a, a flight of steps. But I try to minimize those situations. It doesn't affect my life. It doesn't affect my job. Uh, but it's a byproduct of smoking. I don't give a damn what anybody says. If they want to talk about uh, cocaine or they want to talk about marijuana or they want to talk about alcoholism, the most insidious disease is cigarettes. And I'll believe that until the day
1: I die. Well, let me raise the glass to you, my friend. There uh, <laughs> we <laughs> for, go. Uh, Doing what you did. I you're mean, giving me... A,
2: you know what you're doing. You're giving me a, a, a pulpit for preaching against things or in favor of things that I believe in.
1: Well, all four. You it. never smoked, did you? Not cigarettes. Full disclosure, not cigarettes. <laughs> well, I... uh you know, I, I can dig yeah. it. <laughs> Back in my younger can days. Dig it. Yeah. Back in my younger days, you kind of experiment with things. And yes. I, I wasn't like a former president. I actually did inhale. Inhale, I yeah. understand. I kid, um, I've, been, I've walked up. But no longer, no longer. No. But I never smoke cigarettes. Yes. No. Never smoke yeah. cigarettes. Very, very interesting. And we wish you the best. Thank um, you. I'm good. With your health. Good. But you're one of the healthiest uh, men for your age, and you walk... Five miles a day on the, tr- if not outside on the treadmill. I'm right? an old bastard, man. I know, but you <laughs> stay healthy and I work at you it. You got the Fitbit on. You're always checking out your steps. I got it in my pocket. Yep. And Amanda's and had a lot to do with that. Yeah, she's and had a lot to do with. it. Always that. putting in five miles. Always getting on me. By the way, hey, I was over there at the uh, fitness center and I didn't see you. Didn't <laughs> I see did you that earlier there. today. I know. You're like, <laughs> I, I was over there at the fitness center and I didn't see you come in. Or, did I miss you? I miss you. No. Yeah. Don't think uh, you missed me, just... I didn't... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Getting into trouble, you. Mm -hmm. You famously got in trouble with the league office. I did. 1989. Refresh the fans. What'd you say? It had to do with umpires, right? And you were called into the league
2: office? Well, it had to do with that infamous night at... Riverfront when Dave Pallone was bumped by uh, Pete Rose and yeah. and Pete was suspended for thirty days and um, Joe and I went off on Dave Pallone, who I thought was an incredibly inept umpire and um, they felt like we incited or helped to incite a riot which is a friggin joke yeah. and now you're getting me really lit <laughs> up here now at Riverfront Stadium. And so it happened, I guess it yeah, I know it did. It happened on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, um I'm on the field watching batting practice. And now I'm having a I'm having a a a, a metal block on who was the general manager of the club at that time. Anyway, he came up to me and said, "You and Joe have been summoned to New York tomorrow." And I said, "What?" He said, Um, nationally President Bar Giamatti and uh, Commissioner Peter Uroth, I want to talk to you guys because they felt like you had a hand and fans throwing stuff on the field and everything. I said, that's a joke. Be that as it may, Joe and I showed up at uh, Greater Cincinnati International Airport, Greater Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky International Airport at 6.30 the next morning, Monday morning. And at that time, we were flying Piedmont Airlines to New York City. And Joe's all bleary-eyed. I got up early in the morning anyway, although that's, this was rather excessive. We were standing in the waiting area, and Joe's all bleary-eyed. And I said to Joe, I'll bet you didn't have this much fun when you work with Al Michaels, did you? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't he like didn't that like at that. all. Not a little bit.
1: So we get on the plane, we fly to New York. Well oh, good cop, bad cop, but you were the bad cop and he had <laughs> right. he was guilty by association. <laughs> That's all he was. <laughs>
2: we fly to New York and uh, we go to the major league offices right there in Manhattan. One floor is the national league, one floor is the American League, one floor is the MLB. So we meet with Bart Giamatti, who was one of the coolest guys I've ever been around. Really? Oh. You know, he's a former president of Yale University, Mm -hmm. a a hopeless baseball fan and lover of the game like nobody I've ever been around before, ever. He was a guy who had such a vocabulary that he could talk at a level that neither you nor I could ever grasp. Conversely, he could talk at a level that was the most basic, profane, He coming at you in a language that you could understand. If we met with him first, and he was sensational. He, it was like we're sitting in a bar, and we're drinking, and we're talking, and we're exchanging ideas, and he would allow me to express my opinion, allow Joe to express his opinion. He was wonderful. Um, you know, I have such great respect for his son Paul Giamatti, who's a great actor and has done wonderful things. The John Adams thing he did was was off the charts; it was so good. I would love to meet him one day simply to tell him the high regard that I held his old man in. And then, then we met Peter Ubruff. He was a bad guy. I mean. I've said a million times, I'm shocked that he hasn't broken both arms patting himself on the back about what a wonderful person he is. <laughs> he threatened us with the loss of jobs. Um, he, 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 he leveled every accusation against us known to man, and we could not offer a counter argument to anything that we supported without him interrupting us and not allowing us to finish. At the end of the conversation, he said, I'm going to talk to people who are much better versed in the broadcasting business and what you people do. But he left us with the possibility of throwing us out of the game. So now we fly from Cincinnati, from New York, LaGuardia Airport to Pittsburgh. We change planes in Pittsburgh on U.S. Air. We fly in U.S. and then back to Cincinnati. We had about an hour layover uh, in Pittsburgh, and I call my attorney. Joel Moskowitz, and I said, here's a deal. He said, let me tell you something. He said, to begin with, there's no way on God's earth he's going to throw you out of the game. He said, secondly, if he does, he's got a class action. You've got a class action First Amendment lawsuit to file against him and Major League Baseball. You will never win. I mean, you'll never work again in Major League Baseball, but the financial settlement you'll get out of it, you ain't going to have to. He said, just remember what I told you. Two weeks later, we get a registered letter and mine is under glass in a frame in my baseball room in the basement. Really? Yes.
1: That's right. You sh- Yeah, I showed it, it to yeah. you.
2: And after conversing with a lot of people, I've decided not to implement any kind of penal damages against yeah. you or Mr. Nuxlel. I said, you bet your ass you didn't because I was going to throw the book at you. I think his legacy as commissioner of baseball was a collusion case back in the 80s that cost owners millions and millions of dollars because yeah. of, of a collusion situation that started at the very top of the game of big league baseball.
1: I ain't got a big – I'm not a big fan of Peter Ueberroth. I – sensed that over the years and uh the answer that you just gave yes now you would you know famously get in trouble with uh i don't want to say trouble but get gripes from players from yeah. office etc over the years and elvis in the booth yes you um ran into the Having to take, well, take us through what? How did well, Elvis I, get into the booth? You guys had all—I mean, he had the gag going forever, you know. I, and I don't—I don't know the
2: the explicit uh, the, the the particular night in which the idea germinated. I don't—I don't know what that night was, but I know there came a time when I said on the air, "Look, and I'm talking to the fans, if you all have anything related to Elvis Presley, you want to send to the booth." Understand, you're not going to get it back. And two, don't send me anything that's worth anything. Right. But whatever you're willing to, never dreaming. You got it. It was unbelievable. I got more stuff. And then we started decorating the booth. Right. And the booth was so, and I did it all myself. I don't, quite honestly, I don't think Joe knew who Elvis Presley was
1: or if he did. It was like a room at Graceland.
2: Yes, it was. (laughs) It was so attractive when it was fully decorated. Yeah that CNN used it as bumper video material going out of a newscast to break. Did not know that. Oh yeah, it wow. was spectacular. And I, quite honestly, I got stuff that today is worth a ton of money. I bet. I got and I've got this displayed in my house, the ticket from the last live performance that was in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I confirmed it when Amanda and I were in Graceland in February when we stopped off for a day to tour Graceland. The last performance he ever made on a tour was in Indianapolis. I got a ticket. Oh, wow. Um, I have, I don't know where it is, uh, but I had a um, Barbie doll, Elvis Presley, and a leather costume that they sold that would be worth a fortune. I don't know where it is today. Anyway, um, Ceramic Elvis is in the booth now. And that's the one that's broken because yeah. there and there's you. a story behind that. During batting practice one day, he survived an assassination attempt. <laughs> Joe Oliver started throwing baseballs at the booth.
1: It's a ceramic head of it's, Elvis. It's beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, Big ceramic is, head of
2: Elvis. It is get down beautiful. Yeah. And Oliver kept throwing balls at the booth and balls at the booth, and it hit and broke a piece of and it pissed me off so bad I couldn't stand it. And so – Somebody ended up with that thing over in in the west side of town, and they offered to give it back to us to display in the radio booth, and that's the reason why it's up there now. Uh, That was just one of many items. And then it all came down, crashing down around us. As I understand it, one day Marge, the club was going terrible, and Marge met one day with some players, most notably Hal Morris and Barry Larkin, and said, what do you think of that Elvis crap? I think I'm going to tell him to take it down. They said, yeah, do that. So I'd take it down. Ugh. I was so upset. It was you know, <laughs> I mean, it was one of those things. But it was a period of great conversation. You guys had so much fun with it. It was ridiculous. Each night, I mean, you we, and Joe. I mean, and I, I would, bra- I would t- take it down every night after a broadcast at, at, at uh, Riverfront, and I would put it up every afternoon
1: before we went on the air. And it was really attractive, boy. I'm not kidding. You. It was cool. They should have kept the concrete booth, by the way, that radio booth. I love the booth. They should have kept that booth in some regard. When I, I, they tore that I don't statement. disagree with you at all. I
2: you know, I believe me, and you know it you know it better than anybody, the creature comforts that we have. Yeah. At Great American Ballpark or like night and day as opposed to Riverfront, but I loved Riverfront. I uh, you know, we had a concrete radio booth. It was so blasted cold in the wintertime. It was incredible and so hot in the summertime. Uh, There was no cover. It was wide open, just like the TV booth was. Mm -hmm. Um, But I tell people all the time, they have to remember, those that are old enough to remember it, the most profitable and successful part of the history of this franchise was spent in that ballpark. Yep and that can they can never take it away they can never take that
1: away i love that ballpark some of my earliest memories in life and i've talked about this on this podcast is riverfront stadium when it first opened me and my family going down there back then astroturf was like a that's right it was a novelty and it was so bright and the stadium was just majestic and bright and sensational yeah and it was wonderful it was one of those things where you knew you'd say hey i was in the green seats that's right. I was in the blue seats. Ooh, you were in the blue see, seats. And all you
2: had to do was designate a color. Designate a color. And they knew immediately. You're like, oh, you're no, I was seats, buried I said, up oh, in the red
1: and right field, man.
2: And one of the great, you know, every now and then I see a picture of the three nights, I guess, or it might have been more than that, that Joe and I broadcast from the red seats behind home plate. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I was told, you're going to be dealing with a different breed of cat up there now. The fans that sit up there are not the same fans that sit in the green and yellow. There
1: is no question
2: for someone that goes
1: around stadiums. It is night and day. Those bad boys were big
2: time and they took no prisoners and Joe, and, but God bless them. They, they were, respe- they were respected what Joe and I were doing. The, the club put a, you know, they put a counter up there for one of a better term that we could work off of with our scorebooks and microphones and all that. And they had security people up there, but, In retrospect, we didn't need any security people because they were so respectful of what Joe and I were doing. Now, they were up there smoking weed, and and they were having a big time, and the air was thick with the smell of marijuana, but they were the best. I mean, And they were thrilled that Joe and I would come up there. That's why I've told this club a million times, and and I'm tired of talking about it. We would love to do a series, Brantley and I, in center field or on the, uh, you know, what do you call it? The, the center field deal. Power stack? Yes. I, no, the power straight stack? away. Oh. I'd love so. to do it uh, and, and rely strictly on a TV monitor yeah. and as much as you have Talking to. Talking about the boat? The, the, yes. The, yeah. yeah I'd love to do a series, that we, and they've never done it. So, I mean, I ain't saying well, We need to make that.
1: Uh, hello out there. Marty would like to do a sh- a <laughs> series from center field. Can we please make that happen? I'd do it in a minute. I think it was – we had so much fun
2: up in the red seats. Um and I, like I said, I we we did one. We might have done even more than one series. I don't remember, but it was a lot of fun.
1: Well, you guys, uh, man, you I could go on and on about things that you and Joe talked about over the years. Your tomato plants. And yeah. You, you uh, hating golf back then. You were I much did. more into. Uh, growing tomatoes than you were playing golf and you guys around the streets you guys used to argue (laughs) about that which is classic you also talked a lot about there was a period of time you talked about wrestling yes i've always been a wrestling guy i know and you were big time into it at that point at that point it was the wwf now wwe yeah um and at one point you had the Macho Man. We did. Come to the booth. We, ha-
2: I had a guy who went through the sports administration department at Ohio University, which is one of the best in the United States.
1: Mm-hmm. Just ask Tom
2: Brennan, Pally. But Tom didn't go through it. He wasn't <laughs> smart enough to go through it. You had to have a certain grade point average to get through that thing. No, Tom <laughs> didn't go through it. But this guy called me, and he said um, he had gone through the program. He was a big Reds fan. He was a big Marty and Joe fan. And he had a big position with the World Wrestling Federation. So he and I struck up a friendship. In fact, when I announced my retirement, he contacted me. And we plan on getting together. He's on the West Coast now. But he said, look, and and, and my my youngest daughter, Ashley, then was probably eight or nine years old. She was enamored with watching the WWF on television. Mm -hmm. She said, look, any time that we come in, I'll be happy to leave you all tickets. And he had done a number of times, and he would leave his tickets on the front row. She, it, we, I, it, he would make it so that I could take Ashley backstage to meet uh, uh, you know, the uh, Bushwhackers, uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, all these people that she watched on television. Mm-hmm. It was a thrill for her, and it was a thrill for me because I see these guys – uh, you know they they do a shtick on uh, and they're nothing like that. Right. They're just down to earth guys like you and me. I mean, just sit around talk. Yeah. They're great. They were wonderful. They were great for kids. So he contacted me. On, we had a play Thursday afternoon game against the San Diego Padres in 1987, 88, whatever it was. He said we're gonna we're gonna be at the Coliseum that night, but we're gonna be in town on Wednesday night, all day Thursday we're off, would you like me to bring one of our wrestlers over and you interview him on the air? I said, I'd love that. I said, who could I get? He said, would you like to have Randy Savage? Did I you said, know
1: at that time he was a, fo- a former Reds minor league? Oh, I knew all about it. Oh, okay.
2: I said, you're kidding me. He said, no. He'd love to come. I said, book it.
1: So I said
2: yes with the assumption that, That he would come over with a body shirt on, jeans, sneakers, you know. No. He walks into that booth in full (laughs) costume, right? Yellow from top to bottom. He had a yellow cowboy hat on, yellow body shirt, yellow pants, a yellow cape, and yellow shoes. And he comes down the stairs, a steep set of stairs in the radio booth at, at Riverfront. And when he made his appearance, everything stopped. At Riverfront, the players went nuts in the dugout. Eric Davis came out from underneath the overhang and gave that, you know, cocked arm oh, to show yeah. his muscle, and so he sits down. I want to talk about his one year or two years he spent in the Reds organization. His real name was Randy Poffo. Mm-hmm. He had 17 home runs one year in the Pacific in the uh, Florida State League. Didn't hit a lick as far as an average, but had great power. He never broke character. He was the macho The man. macho man. <laughs> he never broke character. And so during the course of the interview, and I went along with it, whatever you want to do is fine with me. And when I looked over where Yid sat, our engineer, Dave Armbruster, who's been with me for 27, 28 years, there's a petition from the radio booth, and Yid had this small booth. And I look over, and Steve shots over there. Steve was Marge's nephew who at that time was a clown. He may not be a clown today, but as far as I'm concerned, he was a clown. And I see he and Yid conversing. So the interview ends. We run it to its, you know, full length, and we say we appreciate you being here. The WWF is wrestling tonight the Coliseum. We go to a commercial break, and Yid said Steve Schott came in, and he said if you didn't if we, if we didn't get Randy – savage off the air he was going to get your job oh. I said really he said yeah so the next inning was supposed to be mine so I told Joe I said I want you to do this inning I go up the steps and walk out of the radio booth into the long hallway and as fate would have it I ran into him I said let's go across the hall I got some things to say to you we walk across the hall I said, don't you ever threaten me with my job again. You can't get my job. And the best advice I can give you is to stay the hell away from me. And he started crying. Oh. He said, You don't understand by the deal I, the, 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 the pressure I, I don't give a damn about the pressure you operate under her. I said, Stay away from me. You can't get my job. Well, now. We get to the end of the game where the post game, Jim Ferguson, who's the Reds Publicity Director, walks in. He said, Mrs. Schott would like to see you and Joe in her office at the end of uh, when you get off the air. I said, Fine. So we get off the air. We pack our stuff up. We go down to the third floor, walk into Marge's expansive office, big mahogany desk. We walk in. I think every employee in the Reds organization is sitting there. I don't understand. I sit down, Steve Shot sitting to my right. Joe's to my left and Marge proceeds to say this is not family entertainment and I argued with her I said yes it is I said kids love this stuff and these guys don't do anything that would make a parent feel like it was not in their best interest to have their kid going to it the reason she thought it was bad was because it was not her idea and at one point Steve said well Mrs. Schott I would I tried to do everything I could to end this interview she he said I I uh, I thought at one point I was going to have to do something physical. I turned to him. I said, "Steve, why don't you shut the hell up?" I said, "You know, pinch your head off." She said, "That's right, Steve. Shut up." <laughs> and that
1: was the end of it. That was done. Wow. I, do got, the, I
2: got I got that picture hanging in my in my <laughs> baseball
1: room downstairs. Back then, wrestling was much more wholesome than it, it is was. Now. Oh, and yeah. now today's a different day. Yeah, it yeah. was much more wholesome. Yeah, it was. Then. But then that was. Just a classic visit. Who who else visited over the years? Jonathan Winters,
2: who probably um, probably I loved him when I was a kid. It basically. was wonderful. Uh, and 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 Reds it, fan, big Reds fan. We had a red. We had a rain delay, a long rain delay. I mean, maybe two hours, and he was at the ballpark. And uh, I don't know whether it was Fergie or someone came in and said, "Hey, Jonathan Winters is here. Would you like to have him on the radio?" And I said, "Yeah." He comes in, he sits between me and Joe, and he affects, I mean, this is all spontaneous now. This is not something he planned. He became Whip Willis, who was a, ret- yeah. a bankrupt baseball pitcher who owned a used chicken farm, and it went belly up.
1: He had so many characters.
2: It was the greatest.
1: I mean, it was all spontaneous.
0: What did? Uh, Do you have any breaking stuff? Was it all this pure heat? Oh, everything I had broke. I'm Which broke way? now. I'm broke now. <laughs> I I, uh, I I just went through everything I had. I was a fool. I put all my money in. Uh, well, I tell you what I put it in. I put it in little chickens. These are these are. I tell you what they was. They was used chickens and don't ever don't ever put your money in used chickens why well they're used they just it's like a used car you know it's a little bit different they just won't lay eggs that's all this is farmers night ain't it But well, you ask them people they don't want no used chicken no i'm pretty good shape though for a man uh, I mean, physically, uh, mentally, I'm not dealing with a fullback, but uh, I'm 80. I'm 82 years old, and you know I can still <laughs> I can still throw a rock. I'll tell you that I hit a man out here in the park because I wanted to get my car in. You know.
2: He had me and Joe on the floor. I mean, it, it was the funniest stuff that I've ever listened to. And and uh, and you're right he used to tool around Los Angeles in a Volkswagen and had a reds flag hanging off of yep. his antenna and always wore a reds cap. Um, he was wonderful. We had, um, we had Gerald Ford. My first day I was ever a member of the reds. We had uh, president, the young president, George Bush. We interviewed him on the air. We had uh, Dick Cheney who was vice president. We had the group Chicago in our radio booth. Um, we had a lot of folks that, 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 um, uh, it showed up and we put them on the air. And there were people, I've had politicians that call me. And I have a real problem with this.
1: Well, you do one party and then the other candidate wants to get on. Well, what kills me is how superficial they are. They'll call
2: you and say, Hey, uh, uh, Joe Smith is going to be at the ballpark today and he'd love to come by and say hello. I said, Mm-mm. He don't want to come by and say hello. He wants to be on the air and he's not going to get on the air. You tell him that. If he wants to go, Hey, Vice President of the United States did that. Mike Pence, he called, his guy called him and said hey, – You he, did, you turned him down? I said he can come by and say hello all he wants to when he ain't getting on the air. Wow. That's when he was running for – oh, okay. he, he he When was, he was running for – Trump's it, running. Right? That's much different. Said, yeah. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make any difference. You wouldn't have him on don't, now? Don't, don't say to me – I You know, we really – we've loved listening to Marty, and that's what the guy said, uh, you know. Uh, governor Pence, because he was governor of, yeah. Uh, of Indiana. Uh, yeah, he's grown up listening. He loves you. He's going to be at the ballpark today. He'd love to come by and say hello. I said he can come by and say hello. All he wants
1: to, but he ain't getting on the radio.
2: Never showed up. I have a problem with politicians.
1: Wow. I'm not going to run for office anytime soon. <laughs> you ain't getting in there. I know too many skeletons <laughs> in the closet. They do. They do these thing called background checks now. I'd I'd be in trouble. <laughs> the legendary banana phone. Uh. <laughs> just if you could see Marty right now he's well, scratching his temples and going, "Oh, I mean, what little hair I have." The, <laughs> for a time though, yeah. fans Oof. loved it. Big. I mean, big. it was big. Had its own theme song, <laughs> had the actual physical banana. How did it be, how did it did it become the banana phone? We had a guy. And for those that don't know, yes. We should explain. During rain delays, you guys would fill time by having people call in. Correct. And, it and we talked at the banana phone. How did it get to be the banana phone? We had a guy who worked
2: briefly, I say briefly, I don't know, a year or two as a vice president uh, during the Marge Shot administration named Don Breen. And Don was a very bright guy. And we had a great relationship. And then at some point, he left the Reds organization to go to work for Chiquita Bananas with a big job. And he sent over to us one day this banana phone. And I'm sure people have seen them. They're, you know, they're terrible phones. I mean, they don't work. You might as well use a tin can. (laughs) But they're attractive. And so in deference to Don uh, and, and the thoughtfulness that he had, we dubbed it the banana phone. And then came the song that simply enhanced the whole image and it was an incredible success. For years, we used to fill um, rain delays, and the rain delay could be 30 minutes. It could be three and a half hours, but we had to fill it with interviews with people. Right. And sometimes it was easy, and other times it was tough because there would be nobody around the ballpark worthy of interviewing. But this thing bailed us out because we could talk to fans. And, and, and as I said, we dubbed it the banana phone because Don sent us this phone. Uh, never really used it. Uh, yeah, because you it couldn't. Just, it was no it was good. just a symbol. Yeah, that's all it was, and uh, everything was fine. Although there were periods of time, and um, Amanda would usually would get on me because I was rude to people. I was rude to clowns that called, only because they wanted to hear themselves on the radio, and they would ask stupid questions, and I was very short with those people. And she said, "You can't do that." I said, "I can," and I did. And when, and you know what? In no way reflecting upon the well-meaning Reds fans who asked great questions, there were these clowns that ruined it. And I've had people come to me and say, why
1: don't you do it again? I said, that ain't happening. We're not yeah. doing that again. Well, people would call in and say, "Hey, Joe, you remember me? Yeah. I met you down there at the Hamilton Ball down there. In 1970? The, 1970. 1970, and you said <laughs> hi to me. You remember that? And he'd say, oh, I remember being there, but I, uh, I don't remember. You got a question? No, just want to say you're That's doing a right. great job. That's correct. That's so a lot of it would be that. And God bless their hearts. Absolutely. They loved you guys. No question. But no a question. lot of it was that. Now, speaking of Dunn, he was also Adam from Milwaukee on oh, the God. banana phone. Adam Dunn. <laughs> Talking about my boy. and My road beef. No, no. When oh, Adam Dunn called into the banana phone from Milwaukee. Adam from Milwaukee. You don't remember this. I came prepared. Listen, listen to this.
2: Now we'll go uh, to a good friend of ours from Milwaukee who is standing by on the phone. Hello.
0: Hello. Hello, Marty. Yes, Marty. Yes, Marty. This is Adam. Marty. Yes, this is Adam from hey. Milwaukee.
2: Hey, Adam. How you doing?
0: I'm good. How are you? Good. Do you think Scott Hatterberg is a good player?
2: Yeah. Hello? Marty? Marty? Yes, Adam, from Milwaukee.
0: Do you think Scott Hatterberg is a good player? (laughs) Do you think he's a good player? I think he's overrated.
2: Uh, Who would you rather see play at first base? I can tell you're a big fan.
0: I am. um, Maybe uh, Luke Stowe?
2: You think that would be an improvement?
0: I think so. He's a little young. Defensively.
2: He's a little bit young, in the Adam?
0: Uh, no. <laughs> Is it still raining in
2: Cincinnati? It's just about stopped, Adam. Do you have your shirt on? Uh, last I checked, I did. Yes, why? Just curious. Uh, listen, I'm going to let you go now because I know that you're going to get your game face on because we're getting ready to go back on the radio shortly, and you'll be listening to every word.
0: I love it. Have a good one, bro. But
2: thanks, Adam. Nice talking
1: with you. All right. Adam from Milwaukee. Yeah. See, we knew who that was. <laughs> did you know at this point that it was Adam Dunn? I did. Yeah, I did.
2: <laughs> I knew exactly who did it was. Did
1: you know at the beginning that it was Adam Dunn? Uh, within the first 30 seconds, I knew who
2: it was. Uh, that, was it. that was good stuff. Oh, yeah that was good stuff that was
1: classic stuff a legendary banana phone yes um and that that song was that just something that was out yes
2: that was not something I, there were people that think that we paid a production company to make that song that song was uh, that was out there in the in the eminent domain uh for anybody who wanted to use it and i don't know who i think it was one of the production people at 700wlw who came along with it that's like that. a song right there that yeah. was the one that was it
1: wow that is uh <laughs> that is outstanding um just quickly wanted to
2: well you i'm, I'm good
1: now i'm in, i'm locked in now you're Whatever locked we're in are you ready to rock and roll I'm, I'm locked in see i called up some old rosters here okay and i just want to go through some names all right uh this is 74 i used to love this guy how king well, you know, Hal King um, – which He was, made a name for himself a little bit before you got there. I he
2: was not around very long when I was there. Yeah. He had a big home run off Don Huge. Sutton. Huge. Yes. Uh, in the second game of a doubleheader in yeah. 1973 Yeah, at Riverfront that won a game.
1: And then the Reds rallied. Correct from there. Yeah. That's
2: it. Yeah, but I, I don't, I don't think Hal was with the club in '74. I don't believe he was. Well,
1: he's on the roster here. Yeah, he I don't think played, he made the club uh, out of spring training. Twenty games that year. So really, I yeah. don't even remember it. Yeah, you got. Uh, let's see, this is '74, and that year, what they what won ninety eight games. Your first year, yeah, and finished second. And finished and second and to the win. Dodgers. That's right. Which is crazy to think that. You know, with yeah. the advent of the wild card now. That's right. You win 98 games, and you don't make the playoffs. That's correct. And I remember people talking about, man, they, they might break up this club. Yeah. Because, um, you know, they lost the World Series in 70, lost in 72, got knocked down in 73, didn't make it in 74. And there was a lot of pressure in 75, to win that series
2: well I mean I, I was so new to the game that uh, whatever pressure that was brought to bear uh, internally or externally I I was oblivious to it I, I don't I don't remember that other than what I read and the fact that you know Bob Hausen had put together this ball club especially after the big trade with Houston that brought Joe Morgan over mm-hmm. Um and Cesar Geronimo and, and, and Jack Billingham, and these were the final pieces to the puzzle. And as it turned out, they were based on what they did in 75 and six. But my first year they, they fell behind, um, I think 11 and a half games behind the Dodgers and and they made a late season run at them and they go in the last road trip of the year, they had to go into LA and to San Diego and they go into Los Angeles and they're, they're three and a half games back. They beat the Dodgers in the first game to pull two-and-a-half back. They beat the Dodgers in the second game to pull within a game-and-a-half. And And then on Sunday, on the third game, Don Sutton pitches and pitches a one-hitter. The only hit the Reds got was a home run by Johnny Bench, and they got beat six-to-one. So now they're two-and-a-half games out going to San Diego. Houston is coming into L.A. Houston's a horrible club back then. They're terrible. San Diego's terrible. Reds go into San Diego. They lose their first game. Dodgers lose their first game to Houston. We're still two and a half back. Lose the second game. Dodgers get beat again. But the Reds lose that second game. They had a reserve infielder named Junior Kennedy who was playing third base. And he threw away a double play ball late in the game that cost the Reds the game. Had they won that game, they would have been a game and a half back. And you don't know what might have happened at that point, but they did not take advantage of the opportunities, and the Dodgers went on to win the division despite the 98 wins the Reds had that season.
1: Yeah. Pedro Borbone. Yeah. I'm looking at the Reds' bullpen in 75 here. Pedro Borbone, what type of guy was he to be around? I love the
2: guy. Um, I uh, I have nothing but the greatest respect in the world. He was a guy that never darkened the doorways of the training room. I mean, never. He never went in to have any treatment at all on his right arm. And he
1: was Iron Man. I mean, he was. Unbelievable. Uh,
2: the, I mean, what people don't realize, they weren't around. They had Clay Ker- Carroll. They had. Raleigh Eastwick. They had Will McEnany and they had Pedro Bourbon. Mm-hmm. Four interchangeable parts. He could close with one game one night. He could close with another guy the next night. They could pitch multiple
1: innings. All four, all three, all four of he them. He threw 125 hit. innings in 75. Right. Yeah. How many hits he give up? Bourbon? Uh, 145. Really? In seven. This is 75. Yeah. Okay. Well. He, but he was, had a 2.95 ERA. Yeah, the whole he, bullpen was sub three ERA,
2: and he would pitch every day. He made no yeah. difference. He never had arm problems. He was as hard as this tabletop that we're sitting on, uh, and he was he was a delight to be around. I mean, he uh, I never forget 1974. Uh, they go into Pittsburgh to play the Pirates in a five game series over uh, over three days. They had rainouts earlier in the year and they go into Pittsburgh to play the Pirates and they win a doubleheader on Friday night, they won a single game on Saturday, and now they've got two more games on Sunday. The Reds do. They win the first game of the doubleheader on Sunday. Pirates are thirty nine and fifty-two. And now the Pirates are tired of getting beat. I mean they're they're sick to death of getting beat. And so I think Bruce Keeson started on Sunday And Bruce would throw at you right now. If you looked at him funny, he would throw at you. And so it was obvious that that Danny Murtaugh was looking for a reason to uh, put a spark under his club. And so Keeson hits a couple of guys, and and Sparky, um, uh, Bill Plummer was catching the second game of the doubleheader. He was Johnny Bench's backup catcher. And he said, I want somebody to get hurt. And I forget who was pitching for the Reds. But anyway, the the guy gets drilled, and now they're milling around the mound, and no punches have been thrown. And the Pirates had a guy playing left field named Ed Kirkpatrick, who was a jack of all trades. He could catch. He could play the outfield. He was playing left field. Reds had a guy named Andy Costco playing left field. Andy was from Toledo, big, strong guy. And so now they're all milling around the mound. Sparky's out there. No punches have been thrown. All of a sudden – Kirkpatrick inadvertently stepped on Sparky's foot, and Sparky went down. And before Sparky hit the dirt, Costco hit Kirkpatrick twice, and all hell broke loose. Bourbon comes out out of the bullpen. The Pirates had just called up that day a relief pitcher from their AAA club in Charleston, West Virginia, and Bourbon bit him. And the guy had to go to the hospital and get a tetanus shot.
1: That was the essence of what Pedro Bourbon was all about. Was he the guy that went away for a week and left his dog? They, <laughs> this is I mean, an where unbelievable I live in story. Cincinnati
2: in Anderson Township, which is you have to go through Mount Adams, I mean, uh, Mount Washington, if you're yeah. driving out, if you don't take uh, 275 or 471 to come to where we live in Anderson. And he had rented an apartment in, in uh, Mount Washington and left the dog there for, I don't know, a week or 10 days. put a week's worth
1: of food out, right? I mean, destroyed that apartment. <laughs> he thought that the dog was just going to eat absolutely a little bit at a time just and take care of itself for a week, right? Destroyed the apartment, yes. That was paid. Came for. back and the furniture was destroyed. It, we, the dog uh, everything
2: was... had to be thrown away. Dog was fine. Still had food left. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Our dog was fine. Plenty of water, plenty of food. I mean, he wrecked that place.
1: <laughs> oh, the fact that he thought it was going to mind its manners for a week. It, yes. yes. Just outstanding. Yes. 75 or 76, which team are you going with? The better club. Now, you look at 76 and they didn't lose a postseason game. Right. Sweep and a sweep. Right. Yeah. Um, you put in 76 up there against the 27 Yankees, you put in 75.
2: Well, you have to put – I don't. to be honest with you, I don't think you split the difference between the two teams. The personnel was almost the same. Mm-hmm. There's very little difference. Right. Pat Zachary was out of the bullpen, was there and started in 76. He was not there in 75. He was voted co-rookie of the year in 76, along with a relief pitcher from San Diego by the name of Butch Metzger. Um, to me, that was the only difference. So, I mean, you could take either club. I don't care what they did in the postseason in seventy six as opposed to what they did in seventy five. Uh maybe the level of competition was better in seventy five when they played the Pirates and and uh the Red Sox as opposed to playing the Phillies
1: and the Yankees in seventy six. But I don't I don't think you can split the difference. Didn't you guys do a make believe series? That's We're, a great big story. Big red machine versus the 27 Yankees. In 81. During the strike, right? That was a strike.
2: And, <clears throat> excuse me, the Reds had a guy who worked in the front office named Don Tecklenberg. Mm-hmm. And there was a board game, APA, A-P-B-A. Played it. Wonderful. Great game. It was better than Stratomatic. I don't care great what people game. say about Stratomatic. It was all based on a dice principle. This was back before video games, so yes. we had to amuse ourselves with games. They're like still this. in existence, by the way. APA is. Really? Oh, I've got some stuff. Oh, recent man. stuff. And and so they I would need put to get out a one. set of cards every year yeah. for all major league they teams would update based them, yeah. on what the guys did. Exactly. The and it was amazing how realistic it would turn mm-hmm. out to be if you played a full season. Right. So his idea was, let's determine the matchups, and then I'll play a series of five games between those two teams, and I'll pick out one or two, whatever we wanted to air, and we'll put them on it. We'll recreate them. And so they had a matchup of the 75 Reds against the 27 Yankees. And they would have the 69 Mets against the 79 Reds, Tom Seaver versus Tom Seaver. Um, The Oakland Athletics, 72 or whatever it is, against the 76 Reds. And you
1: guys recreated the
2: game. All we got – Don would play the game. He'd take a piece of uh, type, typing paper and show you top of the first, bottom of the first, top of the second, bottom of the second, etc. So and so did this. So no embellishment at all. And we would go into the studio at WLW Radio, which was down on Fourth Street at the time. We had Paul Summercamp, God rest his soul, who was a public address announcer, would announce the lineups, and it would have that echoey effect like he was in. Riverfront That's Stadium. Dr.
0: Johnny Bunch. Yes.
2: Uh, it was brilliant. Yeah. Everything about it was done to such importance to make everything they could make sound like the real deal. And Joe and I would sit in a studio at LW, just like we're sitting here now. I'm here looking across the table at you. Joe would be sitting there. We'd have somebody using pencils, the crack of the bat, and we would do the game. Well, would you? You would just have the result. You wouldn't have what the
1: count was. We had so to embellish everything.
2: Up. We had to. We just had. And I told him, I said, and we. And they recorded crowd noise from Riverfront Stadium, actual crowd noise from Riverfront. They put it on a loop, and you would continue to hear it. And whoever was producing, if there was a big hit, he'd raise a level of the crowd noise to reflect what that there was hit. And so our, our imagination
1: could run wild. I we mean, could, yeah, you're like galled into his I lineup,
2: and here's the two-one to Lou Gehrig. Yes, swing and a miss. I loved it. I, I, I talked about um, how, uh, and this was another game. Uh, I think it was the 76 Reds against the uh, 72 Oakland A's or whatever. And and the next night was going to be the 27 Yankees against the 75 Reds. And the, the Oakland game, I would say, well, we just noticed that Miller Huggins and the Yankees have come into the ballpark. And uh, they've been given very good seats. And he's in here to scout this game tonight because many of the players will be Playing, I, mean, we
1: These, even, I loved the N81. I mean, I loved when you guys did it. It
2: was sensational.
1: These tapes exist, don't they?
2: Yes. I, I've never been more proud of anything that turned out, and I defy anybody who listens to them, to say that it doesn't sound like a legitimate major league baseball game. But the 27 Yankees and the 75 Reds were special. We go to the bottom of the ninth, and the Reds were a rundown. Now, Wade Hoyt had pitched the first eight innings for the Yankees and he had shut the Reds down. Um, somebody hit a home run off of him early in the game. But they bring in a relief pitcher by the name of Wilsey Moore, who was an actual a guy who saved 13 games in 1927. Which was a lot for 1927. Yeah, so they bring him in to face the Reds in the bottom of the ninth, protect a one-run lead. Gets your first two batters out, Johnny Bench, hits a game-tying home run off of him. Go to the 10th inning, Ken Griffey gets a base hit, senior, to win the game. Months later, Warren Giles, who had been president of the National League and had at one time been president of the Reds, was beloved in the city of Cincinnati. He passed away, and the funeral was in Cincinnati. He was buried in Cincinnati. Gordy Coleman, God rest his soul, was the director of the Reds Speakers Bureau, former Reds player, Mm -hmm. was at the funeral. And he was standing alongside, at some point, Wade Hoyt. And they were talking. And Gordy could sense that something was not right with Wade. And finally, Gordy said, Wade, is there something on your mind? He said, You're a GD, right? It is. He said, Let me tell you something. There ain't no way in hell, if Miller Huggins had left me in that game, that Johnny Bench or anybody else would have all run off <away."> me. <laughs>
1: That is outstanding. I mean, legitimately he had a case had of the, the you-know-what. About now, a made-up game?
2: Big time, <laughs> not happy. And that's what he told Gordy. He said, there ain't no way on God's earth anybody would hit a home run off me if i won out away from a one-run win. He was hotter in a match.
1: Wow. Yeah, It was good stuff. It was good now, stuff. did you guys embellish it at all? Or the, the dice really – I mean, that was a no, Dice game. Really, oh. The Dice really now, played out that the, the Reds fi- beat the 27 Yankees? Enough,
2: of the five games that he played, Don Tecklenburg, he played five games. Every matchup that we chose, he would play five games. Obviously, he would pick a game that the Reds won. Mm-hmm. But the Reds, in the matchup between 27 and 75, the Reds won three of the five games. And he picked the one that he felt was the most exciting. Right. And we went with it. Yeah.
1: Well, to me, everyone always wants to compare greatest teams of all time. Yeah. And- um, 27 Yankees were great, but to me that was before integration, so you Correct. didn't have Latin players, that's you didn't right. have African-American players, you didn't have the best players on earth. No, even that's right. the game was, right. was still fairly young at that point, but, um, you know, to me, we, we, when you talk about the 70s and today's game, the players are, are much better than those yes. players back then. Yes. But, um, not to take anything away from the 27 Yankees, no, one of the greatest absolutely teams not. of all time. And what Babe Ruth did for the game is <clears throat> speaks volumes and – I can't right. discount it at all. Did you forget one play? You always told me that Kevin Mitchell was one of your favorite guys. All the time. That, that's another guy. You're right. I appreciate you mentioning that. I love the guy. Which surprised me a little bit. I don't know why, but it uh, surprised me that he's on your favorites. I time. don't know what it was
2: about the relationship, but we got along famously. And I love the guy. I um, you know, he's a guy who was raised in San Diego, came from a gang background, was able to survive that. Uh, for me, he was one of the greatest pure hitters I've ever been around. He could hit. Um, but he, and he was a favorite of the media because he, he was like a magnet. He would start telling stories. Many of people felt like they were being made up as he went along, but he would tell a story in such a manner that people were just enthralled by what he had to say. And I, I, I was just very, very, uh, impressed with him, his ability to hit, um, his carefree attitude, uh, it, if he got mad at you, he could stay mad for five minutes and it was over with. And years go by and he's out of the game. And every time we went into San Diego, if he came by the uh, clubhouse, he made the point of trying to seek me out and we'd have big hugs. And I just thought the guy was the best. I loved him to death and, and will always have a certain level of affection for him.
1: He was a guy that – uh. As you said, you look at him, you think, wow, he, he's not much of an athlete, but wow. He's a guy, the old adage, and
2: the guy was such a good hitter, he could wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning yeah. on Christmas Eve and hit a line drive
0: somewhere.
1: Yeah. And that was him.
0: <laughs> no that was
1: him. Well, I hope you enjoyed another trip down memory lane with Marty Brenneman. And he's amazing in his memory. The, the things he remembers, vividly remembers, and is very forward with his opinions, as you know when he calls games and certainly very forward on this podcast and we appreciate it he talked about some things that i talked a little bit with him about but not in depth and some things i didn't know and and i just love picking his brain such a vast knowledge that he has so many experiences that he's had not only behind the mic but just in life in general and it's just a treat and as advertised we're not done with marty Uh, We're going to go to that well a few more times during the season, his final season behind the mic. Why not take advantage of it? He's a a terrific, terrific guest. I mean, I could literally have him on every week, and I'm not sure it would get old to a lot of people out there because he's got so much to offer, and we're going to sit him down. We talked about this before. We're going to play some of his great calls in the past, and we'll get his thoughts on the call itself, which... Most of them, all of them are terrific, fantastic, Hall of Fame worthy, and we're going to get thoughts of the players and teams involved, and we'll do that down the line. When exactly, I do not know, because I'm going to be honest with you, we don't have a set plan for this podcast. We're just letting it roll, whoever I come across, whoever I can nail down for this. And with that in mind, I'd love to get your thoughts out there of who you'd like to hear on future editions of this podcast. Hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at Jimday TV. That is at Jim Day TV. Drop me a line and say, hey, I'd like to hear from such and such, and we'll try to make it happen. Who knows what the future holds? But once again, thanks for joining us so much. Thanks for clicking on this. We hope you leave us good reviews. Follow along. And until next time, I'm Jim Day see ya.